This is That Sounds Like Fun, a podcast all about the magic of video games and how they make us feel. I'm Ross Alexander. First of all, I'd like to thank everyone who listened to my pilot episode and gave me feedback. I really appreciate both the positive and the negative points that people gave me, and I hope you see my response to the feedback represented in this episode and moving forwards. Welcome to episode two. Once the pilot was finally out of the door, I was immediately struck with the choice of what to make for my second episode. I have so many topics that I want to cover, and I was stuck between two for this episode. In the end, I decided to do my first biography of sorts, covering the career and influence of a single composer. When thinking about who would be best suited to cover first, I had a few popular composers in mind, but none stick out to me as a fan favourite quite like Nobuo Uematsu. With Final Fantasy's 30-year anniversary passing last December, what better way to mark the contribution of one of games music's brightest stars than by dedicating a podcast series solely to him? Luckily, you don't have to listen to just me for the whole episode. This time, I've been joined by some friends, and we will be discussing our favourite pieces of Uematsu's works, as well as why he stands out amongst other game composers. Here, let me introduce you. Okay, so I am now joined by two of my friends via Skype. Colin, who is uh, a friend I've known for about a decade now, and has the most eclectic music taste of all of my friends. Uh, This extends to video game music, but not exclusively so. Uh, Say hello, Colin. Hello. Um, and my other friend, David, uh, who plays the bass for a, pro- a post-rock band called We Came From The North, who I've known for maybe just short of a decade, but also uh, has a lot of experience with listening to and making music. Um, some of your music, in fact, is inspired by, I think, Dark Souls, right? Ah, oh, yeah. We... <laughs> or, or, at least an, or at least an homage to... We like naming a lot of our tracks from <laughs> Dark Souls themed things but yeah yeah, yeah okay. I'd say video game music's in there so that is Colin and David and we'll be hearing more from them later on in the show these discussions will be peppered throughout my biography of Umatsu which will span a couple of episodes people who were kind enough to listen to the pilot when it released will be aware that this episode has been over a year in the making Personal commitments combined with the awesome scope of the subject matter have made this quite a significant undertaking, and I hope you all enjoy it. So, let's get on with the show. Chapter 1. Nobuo Uematsu's Early Life and Career Born in the Japanese city of Kochi during the spring of 1959, Nobuo Uematsu developed a fascination with the world beyond the coastline of his native Shikoku Island. In an interview with the Red Bull Music Academy, he's quoted as saying, When you're born and raised in the countryside, you fall in love with it. So, even now, I'm still not used to the city lifestyle. In terms of spirituality, I really believe Shikoku is a mysterious place like that. A great monk put up a spiritual barrier a long time ago. And I've seen a lot of strange things since I was little. I still kind of like that kind of supernatural world. Despite the majestic natural setting he was brought up in, Uematsu credits more Western ideals of fantasy, citing Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and Celtic culture as inspirations for his work. 
Despite becoming a rock star of games music, Uematsu has no formal musical education, having taught himself piano before he was even into his teen years. His love affair with music was bolstered by an obsession with British and American music of the late 60s and early 70s. It won't come as a shock to fans of his work that young Nobuo was a big fan of prog rock bands such as Yes, King Crimson and Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Their proclivity for the heavy use of synthesizers seems to have rubbed off on him. It also makes a lot of sense that Led Zeppelin, a band who made a habit of referencing Tolkien's fantasy works in their music, would be a massive influence on him. Possibly the greatest influence of all, however, was Elton John's 1972 album Honky Chateau, which spurred a 13-year-old Uematsu into considering becoming a professional musician one day. In a 2008 interview, Uematsu said that the other career that he was considering at the time was to become a professional wrestler, so I'm glad to see that he chose Elton John as his idol. In later years, he has also claimed famed Legend of Zelda composer Koji Kondo as an inspiration, and references his dynamic style when asked why he picks him of all other game composers. In his mid-twenties, Nobuo Uematsu was working in a music rental store in Tokyo, getting his musical kicks from playing keyboard in several amateur bands and writing music for TV adverts. He's quoted as saying, At the time, I was 24, 25, and I wanted to work in music, but the world wasn't forgiving enough to allow someone with no connections, ability or experience to get a job like that. I knew I wanted to do something, so I made demo tapes every day and sent them to record companies, but I couldn't get near a job. My home was just a small room, but every night, people with different dreams would get together there and drink. People who wanted to be painters, writers, calligraphers and such. That kind of thing was happening every night at my place. And one day, there was a girl who said she was making games. Before long, she asked me if I could make tracks to be used in games, and the place she ended up taking me to was Square. Back then, Square was based really close to where I was living, so I ended up visiting there a lot. Game music didn't exist as a job back then, as far as most people knew. So I thought I'd just do the game music for a couple of years, and then move on to something more proper. Though maybe that isn't the best word. Something like film music, or writing popular music. I thought about getting a job like that. So I intended to join Square as a temporary job, but I've ended up staying at the company for about 25 years. How's that for a low-key entry into the games industry? Nobuo Umatsu fit the profile of the struggling artist, working a customer-facing job in the Tokyo metropolis, spending his evenings in some sort of nerdy Japanese take on Warhol's factory. I did tell you that all my rock stars are Japanese pensioners, right? So, in 1985, Nobuo Uematsu joined Square, and by 1986 he had composed the soundtrack for the games Alpha, a graphical text adventure game, King's Knight, a scrolling shooter, Soishu no Dragon, an early adventure game, and his first ever composition, Cruise Chaser Blasty, a role-playing game that featured mechs that went on to become manga. It is a game that I must say I've never played, but here's a little bit of the main theme.
Okay, so it's not the most scintillating of scores, but I'd imagine that very few listeners will be familiar with Uematsu from his earliest works, but it's good to know that he started somewhere. Little did he know that just around the corner was the series that was going to make him famous. Chapter 2. The Birth of Final Fantasy During his time in the development of Cruise Chaser Blasting and King's Knight, Uematsu got to know now-famed game creator Hironobu Sakaguchi. At this time, Sakaguchi was having a crisis of faith regarding the games that he was making at Square. His work as a games writer and designer had been tepid up until this point, and his reputation amongst his colleagues at Square was far from brilliant. He had been working on pitching a role-playing game to Square's executives, but it had not been going well. With the success of Enix Games' Dragon Quest, Square finally capitulated and allowed Sakaguchi to make his game, but only a handful of colleagues had enough faith to join his team. This gives a little bit of insight into the characters behind the genesis of one of the games industry's most beloved and celebrated franchises. A writer who was questioning his own ability to create a compelling story, a dubious executive branch of a company on the verge of financial struggles, and a composer who was just waiting for Hollywood to call before he abandoned games entirely. The assembled development team for the project was tiny, even by 1986 standards, and with so much riding on the outcome of the game's success, they chose a somewhat fatalistic name for what they were creating. Final Fantasy. I guess the the first question would be, what is the first piece of Uematsu's music that you can remember listening to? Colin, I'll give you that one first. I mean, the first one that sticks in my head, I mean, it's a cliche, but it's the opening to Final Fantasy VII. Right, okay. Is that <laughs> Bombing Mission? No, like the actual the title screen music. Oh, right, uh, Prelude. Yeah, that's the one. Right, the the Final Fantasy version of uh, Final Fantasy Seven version of Prelude. Yeah, that is it's iconic that piece of music. It's uh, it's an absolute winner and one that um, it just shows you how how simple it is and how memorable it is that they haven't really felt the need to change it. <laughs> um, I was reading I was reading an article uh, doing research for the show. And it came up that he battered that out in about thirty minutes. Yeah, the guy's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, end, end uh... podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's certainly true. Like the fact that he was able to uh, to just batter out this piece of music that I think he he didn't even think it was going to be in in the game. Like he just thought it was like placeholder or something. I suppose. So it's absolutely remarkable. Um, what what about you, David? Yeah, I, I'm the same. Like, yeah, Final Fantasy VII was the first Final Fantasy I was introduced to. So, yeah, Prelude, uh, Bomb and Mission. Yeah, they were my first awesome. ever forays in Inobu. Fans of video games will undoubtedly see the humour in the name Final Fantasy. With 15 mainline titles and many more spin-offs, times and adaptations... 
It's as ironic a name as they possibly could have chosen. There are few gaming franchises as well established or longer running. That being said, the success of this new franchise would spell either exaltation or humiliation for Sakaguchi, and it was far from a sure thing. The music you just heard is synonymous with Final Fantasy, and is a common thread that runs through the series. When asked about the track Prelude, Umatsu has this to say. Around the time I worked on that, I'd just finished making all the music, and thought everything was complete. Then my boss Sakaguchi suddenly came into the room, and told me to make one more song for the opening screen. He gave me 30 minutes. I remember rushing to make it right there. I never dreamed that the song would continue to be used in the Final Fantasy series. To say I was surprised when I read that is an understatement. While it's such a basic piece of music, it's been adapted and made to fit every game in the series, so by the time I first heard it in the late 90s, it sounded like this. This is the Final Fantasy VII version of Prelude, which Colin, David and I reminisced about earlier. This is the music that welcomes you to the party, in this case a 40-hour party that introduced many Westerners to the franchise, including all three of us. Since its initial conception, Prelude has gone on to incorporate full orchestras and even choirs, and is one of the most beautiful pieces of games music in many of its forms. Even more so than the actual theme of Final Fantasy, this piece of music conjures images of the franchise for me and has become an unofficial theme tune. Of course, that's just my opinion. Anuimatsu has stated that the main theme is the one piece of music that he feels epitomises his work to date. The theme from Final Fantasy is basically the song I'd like to be remembered by. I think it's very soft and warm. But there's a strength to it. It's appealing, and I think it's the most important song in terms of everything I've ever done. The Prelude track, with its arpeggios, sounds remarkably basic and repetitive, but this is almost a strength in creating an anthem. It wasn't until the more advanced instrumental sound options of the SNES console that the Prelude's arpeggios would be able to reflect the term's Italian origin, arpeggiare, which literally means to play on a harp. During his days creating music for the NES, Uematsu laments the repetition and technical nature of composing music at the time. Everything had to be typed into a computer by hand. There was no musical artistry to it once it was written. This harkens back to the nature of games music that I mentioned in the pilot episode, where often the composers in early games were just programmers with the patience to program a tune. While his work on the original Final Fantasy came with a brief for what he was to make, he received a lot more freedom from Final Fantasy II onwards. He would be told the outline to the story and was given free reign to compose. This kind of trust undoubtedly helped him stretch the boundaries of what was considered to be games music, in quotation marks, at the time. He also positively reflects on the sense of freedom and opportunity that composing for an RPG or role-playing game offered him. 
The difference between the music made for Final Fantasy and the music I made for other games, for me, isn't that big. But up until that point, I hadn't made anything for an RPG. And with RPGs, you can just add about any type of music. For example, you can add grandiose movie-style music with a sense of openness. You can add cute music for cute characters. And you can add something like prog rock to battle scenes. In that sense, my music is really... Well, I'm an omnivore, so I like variety in music. So in that sense, I think RPGs are a genre that's really suited to me. Uematsu also says that while he appreciates that people often felt hemmed in by the technical limitations of the NES or the Nintendo Entertainment System, he enjoyed the challenge of creating different styles of music using only the three sounds that were available at the time. It was like a game in of itself. He used an MSX computer to compose his game music until Final Fantasy III in 1990. In a 2010 episode of Awata Asks, when Sakaguchi, Uematsu, and the late Satoru Iwata of Nintendo met to discuss their careers, Uematsu alludes to an instance when Sakaguchi had walked up to him and told him that his work was rubbish and to start again. Uematsu responded by reprogramming the running order of the tracks, and it was approved immediately. The two men share a laugh about it now, but the pressure they were under at the time must have been rough. As a fan of Uematsu's style, it is amazing to me that he was able to squeeze so much out of such limited hardware. The ultimate goal of game music is to elicit an emotional response, and he managed it better than many modern composers do today. When asked if he had any tricks for conveying the emotion of a scene, Uematsu says that he used frequency modulation and fading to alter the nature of the sounds he was using. The original airship theme from Final Fantasy I does a great job of conveying a busy, almost frantic crew on the adventure of their lives. Here's a little piece of it now. When the franchise moved into the 16-bit era, with Final Fantasy IV appearing on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, or SNES, Uematsu suddenly had a lot more bandwidth to play with. When we moved from the NES to the SNES, the biggest change was that we moved from three electronic sounds to eight sampling sounds. The thing that was the most different from the NES, that I thought was best, was being able to use drum sounds. Being able to use drums meant being able to lead the rhythm forward with the sound of beats. This new toolset came with drawbacks, however. As Uematsu was thrown into developing for a new platform, he required the assistance of an audio programmer who he could work closely with, learning just what the SNES could do. In the liner notes for the recording of Final Fantasy IV's score, he references songs as having been written in the square offices at 1.30 in the morning. He has also gone on the record as having started work at 6am just to catch up with the demands of learning how to compose with this new system. Perhaps it was due to the struggle of composing for the new system, but it was during Final Fantasy IV's development that Uematsu started to think about moving away from a solely orchestral score. He began considering rock or folk music, creating the sort of music that had inspired him in the first place. In 2007, Square re-released Final Fantasy IV for the Nintendo DS, along with a 
20 years of Final Fantasy celebratory album, containing a newly arranged version of the theme of love, featuring the voice of Megumi Ida. This certainly suggests that despite moving into the next generation of consoles, Uematsu was still stuck within the confines of the technology of the early 90s. Indeed, it wouldn't be until Final Fantasy VIII that we'd hear song lyrics in a game's actual score. Interestingly, a cover album of Final Fantasy IV's score exists alongside the official one. In June of 1991, Final Fantasy IV Celtic Moon, arranged and performed by Irish musician Mary Bretnach, was released. It contains some fantastic Celtic instrumentation and puts a folk music twist on the original score, including one of the many brilliant covers of the Jocobo theme tune. This harkens back to Uematsu's original fascination with Celtic myth and folklore, and is a mostly fitting arrangement. Here's a little bit of the theme of love, as featured in Final Fantasy IV Celtic Moon. Despite the challenges of composing for the SNES, Uematsu was also able to assist with the composition for Final Fantasy Legend 2 on the Game Boy. His partner in this project was a young man by the name of Kenji Ito, who has gone on to compose for several games in the Mana series since. As the scope of the Final Fantasy games got bigger, so too did the number of songs that were required to fill it. According to the liner notes for Final Fantasy V soundtrack, Uematsu had originally estimated that a hundred plus pieces of music would be required. This number was eventually reduced to 56, but considering that it was 1992, it's impressive that so much music could be implemented. Nintendo was still two generations away from using CDs to store their games. Final Fantasy V is one that I've never played, due to some quite significant translation issues that prevented Square from launching the game in Europe and the United States. It did eventually make its way over, but by that time it was dated and paled in comparison to later games in the series. Even so, there are some choice tracks from the original soundtrack that have aged well. Tracks such as Dear Friends and Clash on Big Bridge have been performed as parts of Uematsu's live concerts. Dear Friends became the title track of Uematsu's first American tour in 2004, which helped to catapult him into becoming a truly internationally renowned artist. It's a soulful track, and Uematsu's decision to make it his title track hints at his preference for the softer, more peaceful music. Chapter 3 Umatsu's Golden Age 
1994, Square released a game that is seen by many who played it at the time as the best Final Fantasy game ever made. Final Fantasy VI is never short of praise, and both critics and Uematsu himself have said that Final Fantasy VI contains a lot of his best work. As the last game in the series to appear on the SNES and on cartridge form, it was still hemmed in by the technical limitations of the format, but he has stated that he was both satisfied and excited after finishing the project. He felt that he had reached his primary goal and could quit doing game music with no regrets. Fortunately, he decided to stick around. In the liner notes for Piano Collection's Final Fantasy VI, he wrote that he intended for the player to feel the music as opposed to listening to it. A little romantic, perhaps, but he is a musician after all. And this intent underlines his passion for infusing the still infantilized format of video games with pathos and emotional resonance. While modern gaming has many directors and titles that wish to emulate cinema, such as David Cage's Heavy Rain and Hideo Kojima's Metal Gear Solid series, it's notable that Uematsu brought a lot of his own cinematic influences to his scores, when the game systems of the mid-90s were never going to get anywhere near telling stories with the same emotional impact as a movie. Remember, at this point in time, most games were still very much 2D, and characters were rarely voiced. Music was one of the few tools that could be used to hook a player's emotions, even when faced with characters that were represented by just simple colourful shapes. When I was a kid, I actually grew up desperately wanting to compose songs for movie soundtracks. As fate would have it, I ended up in the video game industry, simply because there didn't happen to be any jobs available for film composing at the time. When I started looking, it was pretty much this or nothing, and I had bills to pay. But now that I think about it, directors on films could be quite... uh, bothersome to work with. They tend to be very picky about how things should be, and I think it would be quite stifling as a composer. I wouldn't feel the same amount of freedom that I have working with video games, and that I'm very fortunate to have. I've got to be honest, of course there are some game directors who can be bothersome too. For example, with Hironobu Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy, he is very specific about the direction of the soundtrack, how it should be, how it should feel and everything. But once that's been settled and we've agreed on that, I can more or less do as I please, thankfully. It seems that despite working within the technical constraints of the time, Uematsu opened up his options by composing outside of the conventional orchestral score. As mentioned previously, he wanted to reach out into folk and rock music, not simply for inspiration, but as a way to express the emotion of a scene to the player. While an orchestral soundtrack conveyed a sense of drama and grandeur, Uematsu wasn't afraid to push the definition of what could be considered a piece of video game music. The prog rock keyboard player was set free, and few songs show this better than Final Fantasy VI's decisive battle. Fans of the series are likely to instantly recognise the decisive battle as battle music, even without knowing the title. 
This piece of music plays whenever the main characters fight against a generic boss character, with the big bad guys having their own themes. As you listen through the games in the series that follow it, it's clear that the DNA for the decisive battle persists throughout the boss battle music going forwards. While the series was always popular, the worldwide recognition sparked by the runaway success of later games meant development processes changed. No longer was a small team left to its own devices. There were bigger interests behind the games, that meant chances couldn't be taken so easily, and many more decisions were made by committee. It's for this reason Uematsu cites Final Fantasy VI as one of his favourite entries to work on. When I started working, Final Fantasy VI was actually the moment I could start experimenting for the first time. We had more technological possibilities to try and use. Also, at that time, the team was still quite small, especially compared with later, so there was a strong feeling of working together and trying to build something that's really going to change things. As you can imagine, the more people that are working on a game, the less of a difference you can make and the harder it is to feel what you do matters. What I liked about Final Fantasy VI is you could feel everyone was working towards the same goal. It was a special time. This freedom, of course, came with a lot more responsibility. And while Uematsu enjoyed his time on Final Fantasy VI, he also stated in an interview with IGN that the game's title track, Omen, was the toughest track he's ever composed. I actually find it remarkable to hear this, considering how much his music has developed since then. In the same interview, he states his disappointment, as he feels that he has not progressed as a musician since his early days. When comparing his work on later games to tracks such as Omen, I wonder if he has developed or if his music sounds better due to the technical advancement the industry has made. Here's a little bit of Omen now. What do you think? Personally, I feel that Omen is quite a basic track, especially when compared to the games that followed. His use of instruments such as bells and choirs, even if they are digital ones, continued into other titles, and I feel that they've been used to much greater effect since. During the same time as Final Fantasy VI's development, Nobuo's fellow composer at Square, Yasunori Mitsuda, was very hard at work, creating the score for another contender for best game and best game soundtrack of all time, Chrono Trigger. Mitsuda was driving himself into the ground, sleeping in the studio and claims to have woken from dreams inspired to write anew. His use of leitmotifs and the Chrono Trigger theme was truly groundbreaking for a game of its time and went a long way to drawing a musical thread of consistency throughout the whole experience. This hard work took its toll, however, and after a hard drive crash lost around 40 in-progress tracks, Mitsuda was taken ill with stress-related stomach ulcers. Uematsu was drafted in to compose the last 10 tracks and to get the game over the finishing line. Mitsuda returned to work in time to watch the game go out into the world, and reportedly cried upon seeing the final scene. 
While this score is a classic, and Uematsu was involved, it would be a bit unfair to consider it one of his works. We won't touch further on it here, but we'll hear from it again in future episodes. And this is where we will stop for this episode. In the next instalment of That Sounds Like Fun, I'll go on to cover Uematsu's true golden years, as technology advances and the advent of CD game storage allowed for much greater fidelity and variety. This is the period in his career that I got on board and fell in love with the Final Fantasy franchise. All that and more next time. But before I go, I just want to thank you all again for listening, and I hope that you've enjoyed the podcast. As always, I love to hear from listeners and would appreciate any feedback that you might have. My aim is always to entertain, as well as educating people about one of my favourite things in the world, the wonderful music of video games. The home of the show is always roaster.co.uk slash that sounds like fun, where I will add the show notes and links to the many, many interesting articles and videos that help me to put this all together. You can always find me on Facebook and Instagram at that sounds like fun. Now remember, this isn't game over, and I hope that you will join me to continue with this story in episode three. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs>